0: Hey everyone, welcome to the PEDS Doc Talk podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mona, where each week I hope to educate and inspire you in your journey through parenthood. With information on your most common concerns as a parent and interviews with fellow parents and experts in the field, my hope is you leave each week feeling more educated, confident, and empowered in the decisions you make for your child. Hello and welcome to this week's episode where I am welcoming Kristen and Dina from the popular Instagram account Big Little Feelings and they are here today to talk all about toddler behavior, toddler tantrums and just how fascinating in a way toddlers can be even when they're having meltdowns. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. Yeah.
0: I'm so grateful for you all. I love your account, Big Little Feelings on Instagram. I'm going to put that on the show notes uh, so you all can follow. They both also have a course that we'll talk about at the end um, for managing those one to five year age period uh, when your children do have those epic meltdowns. Um, But tell me a little bit about yourselves. What made you both start Big Little Feelings?
2: Yeah, so I'll start. I'm Dina. I'm a child therapist, or really a licensed marriage and family therapist. And I work specifically with families and little ones specializing in the zero to five years. And, um, you know, just as a therapist, there are so many great tips and strategies that we can use at home to build this amazing foundation for as our kids grow, but also to make our lives easier as parents you know, to really help calm the chaos that can go with with toddlerhood. So that was one reason that we wanted to start Big Little Feelings is to get those practical tips and game plans out there to make parenting easier and more manageable.
1: Yeah. And, um, so that Dina and then Kristen, I have been working with toddlers and young kids for about 10 years. I was a special needs, um, aid at a school. I taught kids in Thailand. Um, but really it wasn't until I became a mom myself that I saw there really wasn't a whole lot out there. That was real. Like Dina said, real tips, real strategies. Um, what do you do past the baby stage? I read every baby book, that there was. Uh, and it did not prepare me for being a mom and being home with, you know, once they re- entered that toddler stage. So I kept texting Dina, who's an amazing child therapist in Los Angeles and owns her own practice. And I just kept texting her. What a great friend to have, by the way. I kept texting her all day long. And I'm like, how do you do this? What do you do this? How can I do this? We have to take the pacifier away. How do we do it? Um, and so we really thought that this was something that, could go beyond just me and that all moms could really see and package it in a way that is, is doable for, for moms just like me who, who are doing it every day and don't have a special higher degree. You don't need to be a child therapist to kind of do these things.
0: And the reason why I love your account is exactly what you said, the real strategies and something that you both do beautifully, which is why I think your account has become so popular is the, instead of this, try this um, almost like those scripts. And I know you give that information on your Instagram and then the course goes into even more detail. And that is what I also agree was lacking because in the moment, Parents are, you know, their mind is in a mess. They're obviously exhausted. Their child's screaming. And they're like, sometimes they forget what they want to say. And then emotions come out from the parent's end. And then you have to kind of try again later. But the scripts that you all provide, and we'll actually be getting to that at the end of the episode, is so clutch. And I think that is, you know, worth every every penny. I love your Instagram account for that reason, um, because it really helps, like you said, give those real life examples that sometimes parents just are confused about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, these are, these are things where, uh, and when you read those, a lot of times some parents think like, oof, I've said the one on the left, I'm saying the avoid, you know, am I a bad parent? And it's like, no, we are pulling this from experience. These are things that I almost catch, you know, coming out of my mouth. These are just really common, you know, reactions to when your child is, is screaming in your face, for example, you know, it's, it's not the instinctual reaction to do some of the things that might be beneficial or, 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 you know, it's, 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 It doesn't always come naturally um, and it takes knowing what to say in advance. And that's why we provide the scripts, which you should, of course, always alter, by the way, to your situation, to your kid and how it works. But that's really why we provide those scripts is, is so that in those moments you can have a go to thing of, okay, this is tough, but I got this. I know what to say. I know how to say it. I know that this is why she's doing this or he is doing this.
0: And I love also that you do focus it on one plus because there's a common misconception that it's called the terrible twos. And parents often forget that it starts much earlier than two. So I love that when you talk about everything, you're actually getting to that one plus age, even maybe even a little younger, um, because it's not just the terrible twos. There's so much fear about that. Why do you think parents are so afraid of the toddler years and so stressed about the toddler years?
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's first of all, a really, it's it's a common misconception, if you will. um, Or maybe it's a, a correct conception. I don't know. But you hear it all the time. I don't know about you guys. But when I was pregnant, I mean, and then when they turned into a baby, it was like, well, just wait, just wait till they turn two, just wait till they turn two. You know, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's all around there. And that's why we're afraid of it. Right. And then once we enter it, it's kind of like what I was saying, where we read all of these baby books. I read every baby book under the sun, but no one handed me a book on, on the toddler years. I, I I think that becomes very stressful when you you sort of go into this new phase, your sweet little baby turns into... Whatever you think your sweet baby is turning into, you know, they're just different, right? And so your sweet little baby is now screaming in your face and going, no, or or face first. And you're like, what is happening? You just don't know why it's happening and you don't know what to do, right?
2: But actually, I'm going to jump in too, because let's talk about terrible twos and like three major, which we hear a lot for toddlers. And what's really going on, their brains are exploding with growth. This is like such a unique time of brain development where they're taking in so much new information and learning how to make sense of it and learning how to honestly find their independence. So the fact that they're pushing back, the fact that they're saying no or I'll do it is actually a great sign. This is a huge milestone that your child wants to branch out and try things on their own as they get older. But what's it mean? It's a ton of work for us as parents because we're constantly making sure as they're exploring and touching things that they're safe and that, you know, there are certain boundaries like we can explore, but we can't hit or bite. Yeah. So that comes with it too. And, you know, that might be part of why people feel so overwhelmed about this stage But we feel that once you have game plans, once you understand what's happening and how you can respond, you're going to feel so much more confident in these moments.
0: I agree. I think... There is a lot of fear, um, you know, in my, in my office too, that, oh, you know, this is going to be this awful thing. And I love how you talk about it being a positive thing, because it's almost like if you just come at it saying that this is actually a beautiful developmental milestone that they're going through, and it's not going to be easy. Obviously, you're going to have moments where, like Kristen said, that you're going to regret saying the avoid this, but that's okay. Um, we all do it. I'm going to do it. You both are obviously professionals in this area, and you're going to do it too, um, but but it's just about changing for the next time right and understanding okay maybe i did this and i find that the hardest part about parenting a toddler and you guys speak about this on your website and or on your instagram is watching our insecurities watching our th- the things that maybe we didn't get as children right so if we didn't get a patient parent then of course it's going to be hard for us to teach patience to a child when you know the child's yelling in your face so it's really about self growth for the parent also And that is why I think if a parent can come out of this with your tips and just positive, gentle parenting in general, they're going to come out of it as a better person themselves because they'll feel like, not only did I manage the situation like a calm, cool, confident parent like y'all talk about, but I actually caused change in my child. And now I'm better as a person myself and as a parent myself. And I think that is, to me, the most fascinating thing about the toddler years, that it it is a time of growth for the parent also.
1: Yes. I mean, even that's reparenting is kind of Dina's Dina's forte, too. She loves that. And that's kind of that idea of of when you were not your needs perhaps weren't met. Or some people think that that means childhood trauma. But for me, for example, just to put that into what we're saying, just your toddler having really big feelings, what it looks like is crying and screaming and being sad and angry and overwhelmed. I personally was taught to kind of, you know, in our generation, our parents' generation, it's it's shove that down. You're fine. Shove it down. um, Go get in your room for screaming. And so as an adult, I'm incredibly uncomfortable when big feelings happen. It just, it makes my insides like crumple up and I I crunch up and ah, I get so nervous and I'm sweating. And it's exactly what you're saying where, where this is a time that we actually get to reparent ourselves, which again, Dina, I mean, she's just amazing in that field It's totally a time of regrowth and reparenting yourself. And as an adult now, because of the way that we have kind of been doing this with our own kids, I find that I'm more open emotionally and with my feelings instead of stuffing them down and doing really unhealthy, toxic ways to get through that. Now even I'm okay with my feelings. It's it's pretty crazy, it's pretty great.
2: Well, just to add on to what we're doing is we're building resilience for our kid, but we're building resilience for ourselves in these moments. Because when you think about life, we're not, the goal is not to make hard times or big feelings go away. That's part of life. That's healthy. The key is to learn how to accept those feelings, understand what they mean, and then build healthy tools to handle them. So we're doing that for our kids. But when we show up with kindness and compassion for ourselves, too, and we recognize, OK, this is a hard moment and here are some strategies and I'm just going to do my best, we become more resilient, too.
0: Absolutely. You talk about okaying the feeling, setting the boundary and shifting to the yes. Explain more what that means, how that would look like in a situation.
1: Yeah, so, so I, we always used to love screen time because I think screen time is kind of one of those triggers for kids. They have a hard time with ending screen time. So with all tantrums or any kind of meltdowns, we always do the same three things. And that, that first one is okaying the feeling. So with, with screen time, let's say, rather than just giving a no, we're done, I told you a thousand times, we can say it's okay to feel sad. I see that you're feeling sad about turning off the iPad. It's okay to feel sad. With those younger toddlers, by the way, it's the same thing. So even with my little one, and she's 19 months now, but even as young as 12 months, if you need to kind of, it's okay to feel sad, bye-bye iPad, bye-bye iPad. And it's just like what we were talking about, but it's it's short-term and it's long-term. So in the short term, simply seeing them and they can feel heard and understood the same way we as adults want to feel heard and understood, that can often kind of stop the tantrum in its tracks or make it shorter at least where they're just like, okay, you're on my side. You're on my team. All right. And long term, we're connecting that feeling that they don't know yet. They don't know, okay, what is sad? We're teaching them. Every time they get sad, we teach them this is sad. You're feeling sad. And it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel that way.
2: Yeah, and the more you can just accept it and show them that I get it and I'm here for you and let them release that feeling, that's super healthy and it usually helps them move through it quicker.
0: I see that happening actually like my, my son's nine months and he's starting to throw tantrums like it you know it happens early like it doesn't always happen after 1 and i think like he when he doesn't he's reaching for an item and he can't reach it or we're not allowing him to take the lighter that's on the you know that's on the coffee table um, he starts screaming and we 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 do this you know we actually do say like Ryan i know you want the lighter and i know he's so young but i think pa- parents often feel like a toddler won't understand that, but yet they do. They get it. Even if you do it earlier, whether they understand it or not, or you believe it or not, they hear you. And especially why I think that helps okaying the feeling. As a parent, when you start okaying the feeling, you yourself are giving yourself time to calm down also, rather than getting into that moment of like, oh my God, God, Ryan, why are you doing this? You are saying, you're almost telling yourself I, okay, I, I, I know you're upset. I'm upset. As a mom, I'm upset. It's not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me that I'm actually feeling upset too right now. So I almost feel like it's a form of self-therapy that you're telling your kid, I know you're sad. Mommy's sad too. I know you're sad and frustrated and it's okay to be frustrated. And I feel like it gives that little, that, that little time for that parent to calm down too.
1: Agree. It's such a perspective where it's like, you're literally saying to them, it's okay to feel upset. It's okay to feel sad. And you're saying it in your own head. Whereas my instinctual reaction or any parent's instinctual reaction is probably like, this is ridiculous. How could you be sad? But when you're saying out loud, it's okay to be sad. You're like, you know what? They have every right to be sad. It's sad to turn off an iPad. They want to keep watching. I stayed up until 2 a.m. watching that Tiger King show. You know what I mean? I get it. Like, (laughs) I would be sad, too. So it's just a... And then, so the second step after okaying the feeling, it's, we always, you always want to state the boundary and we want it to be really simple and easy to understand. So whether it's a younger kid and you say all done iPad, bye-bye iPad. If they sign, that's great. You can throw up your hands and do the sign for all done iPad, bye-bye iPad. We're all done with iPad. It's that simple. And the more that you stick with those boundaries, even though you're kind of, on the inside, really afraid of the storm that's coming. Um, the more you can hold them, the the better it will be each time that you hold them.
2: Yeah, exactly. Holding that boundary is super important. So if you've said one more episode, even if they're crying, even if they're melting down, flailing around, banging the floor, stick to it. Bye, bye, iPad, and move it away. Put it out of sight. Put it out of reach, so it's not tempting them and you know, tormenting them and comfort them. It's okay for them to be upset about that boundary, but when you stick to it, they know that next time you say one more episode, you actually mean one more episode. If you just give in and say, okay, five more minutes, because you just want it to stop. What happens is they realize that pushing and crying and tormenting you in some ways is going to maybe get them what they want at the end. So, you know, we want to be really clear and we want to be really consistent with our boundaries and stay firm on it. Because in the end, in the future, that's going to decrease the number of tantrums you get. Because they know, mom said one more episode, that means just one more.
0: Oh, I love this. And it's it's so perfect because it applies to literally every scenario you can have when a child melts down whether it's about food whether it's about behavior sleep ipad this because yeah i mean they they are smart toddlers are super smart they know that if they whine enough and cry enough and they get that rise out of us like we get upset they are very easy to understand that you know what this is making mommy very upset and i'm just going to keep doing it and if i keep doing it she's going to cave in and it is hard, but I love how beautifully you all state that because it is, it actually works really well. And it, in time, like a parent who may be listening right now, that's like, no, it's not going to work. My child won't do that. Like they'll not listen. It really does with that consistent boundaries, like you mentioned. And I see it firsthand in my office. I mean, I, that's what we were hoping to do with Ryan also, as he approaches the toddler years. Um, and I know it's going to be Uh, you know, have, have good outcome, because it really does make sense with how toddlers behave and what they what they are looking at in terms of cause and effect. And if they do something, what how are we going to react? They are very smart about, you know, looking at how the world works. And that is a huge part of it. Yeah. explains. box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active.
2: And one more reframe for us to keep in mind is that their pushback is again healthy because they're saying, well, you said no, but I know what I want. That's part of their independence is when they're kind of standing up for it. So it's kind of cool to look at it that way too.
1: Um, yeah, so then the, the third one is exactly kind of what Dina is leading in there with, which is your toddler has this really healthy urge for control and power. It's it's part of their brain development. And so we want to be the parents who are in charge of and leading the big stuff. So what time bedtime is, when we leave, how many episodes we're having, when iPad is all done, those really big concepts we want to be kind of leading and calm and in control of those things. And our toddlers, even though they think they want all of the power and control, they actually feel safest when we're holding those boundaries and we are in charge of those bigger stuff. However, the last step is shift to the S. And what that is doing is we're going to shift and say something like, um, with the screen time example, so it's okay to feel sad. You want more iPad, you know, that's so hard. Whatever you want, however you want to say it, then we, but I've, and iPad is all done. We're putting iPad bye by now. It's time to go outside. Do you want to do bubbles or do you want to do this slide? Uh, or whatever it may be, it's time for bedtime. So do you want to do Clifford or do you want to read this book? You offer two choices. And so you're still holding those overarching structure that makes them feel safe, but they can pick something really small um it We don't tell them it's small. We tell them it's big. And we put them in charge. And that shifts their brain out of just hearing no, 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 all day long and just hearing that boundary. And it shifts into, okay, this is my choice. I'm going to go choose my shoes now. So I'm choosing the red shoes. I'm choosing the leave. We're doing this together. Let's go. Yeah,
2: giving them an age-appropriate choice and a little bit of power can really shift them from fighting against you to collaborating with you.
0: And I think like this whole style of parenting is so important and I love that you know we're talking about this because a common misconception also is that boundary setting means that your child will not have choices when or that if you allow your child to have too many or allow your child to have a choice then you're not doing good boundary setting and that's a total misconception because you can do both like you both are saying equally amazing um, as long as you understand that you don't say which book do you want to read? I love the two-option strategy because that gives them, oh, well, I have a choice here. This is awesome. What, like, it, it really makes a lot of sense. And like I said, I bring it back to food a lot, also because sometimes that can happen with, you know, snack time where you just open-ended questions. They kind of need that sort of. This is your two options, okay? And they'll choose. They'll choose one of those options. Um, and so I think that's so great that we understand that there is an ability to have. To be that effective, you know, boundary setter parent, but also allow our child to still thrive and obviously feel loved and still feel like they have a choice. And it's that balance that I think if a parent can find is key to getting through those toddler years.
1: Yeah. And I think it's really there's there's kind of what I think out there for the most part is this this misconception that you either need to be incredibly authoritarian because I said, so you are to be seen and not heard. I am in charge. I leave the house and we can, we can see that kind of have some repercussions, you know, timeouts, spanking, whatever it may be, even it, 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 it doesn't really allow the child to have any say at all or feel involved or feel, you know, it's missing that kind of okaying the feeling and, and all of that stuff we're talking about. And then on the other side, you know we think that the other side is just permissive parenting where it's just okay let the with the child needs to be able to have control and they need to have a say in their life and listen to your kid and and attachment and love them and we personally believe that that the middle road is the best right so we are the calm confident leader of our homes and that makes everybody feel safer and everybody feel better and it leads to that calm with that structure while still involving our our kids and making them feel like they are in control and that they have choices and that they're a part of the team. And they're going to start working with you rather than kind of be either afraid of you or against you. Or if they're given too much power and control, then it's just chaos. It's just total chaos.
2: (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, how do toddlers thrive, really? They feel loved and valued and, like, they belong in the family. They feel that there's predictability and consistency. And they feel safe because when they feel safe, they can really calm down. It's okay to take their guard down. And that's kind of what we we strike here with every script that's already built in is okaying the feelings, the boundary is the structure, shift to the yes is that power and that that value in the family. So it's built in in every single script
0: that we have and the reason why i am so glad we are talking about it also is and the age that you focus on right the 1 to 5 the most i in my opinion also the most impressionable years of developing sleep habits behavior habits eating habits like all these all the core of who we are i i feel like is in the first 5 years that's why i'm so into early childhood education how we parent our children how we handle our emotions in front of our children is key and I am Indian, a lot of, not all Indian families, but a lot of Indian American parents are very authoritarian. It's just what it was. And not just me, but a lot of my friends, like their fathers or mother, but usually the father, very authoritarian. And it was, you know, spanking culturally was very common in our culture. Um, And, you know, as I got older, I started understanding more as I learned more about child development and I learned more about myself, how much that impacted me as an adult what you know, how my parents parented me, obviously, they were loving parents, but they didn't know because that's what their parents did for them. And that's what you know, their parents parents did for them. So it's really about anyone listening, understanding that if you were parented in that way, like you were in an authoritarian type of this is my way you do this spanking, whatever it is, you can break that cycle and say, you know what, I didn't like the way that made me feel I didn't like the way that it created, you know, it created me who who I am today, I ended up having really bad, temp, a really bad temper. And to me, I attribute it to how I was parented. Um, it, they didn't allow me to have those that emotional freedom. And as I became a pediatrician and learned more about this, I was like, no, I don't like that. And I see that it can have a huge impact. And so for anyone listening, remember that that's what we talked about at the beginning, that this goal here is that We can change also just because something was done and you think you turned out fine. It's always important to understand that there can be impacts for children um, down the line that we may never really see because they'll be a grown adult um, and they're working on their own their own issues now. Um, But it's important to recognize the big feelings that these little kids have.
1: Yeah, and there's, there's I mean, Dina can tell you especially, but there's so much research now, particularly in the way of spanking, that is directly directly related to more aggression. Um, so yeah, if you are listening, and this was the way that you were parented, and it's just hard to get out of that cycle, um, and you feel like your kid is just not responding, like you just, you're stuck in this punishment cycle, whether it's spanking or whether it's timeouts, which I would not ever put those two in the same category, you know, in terms of severity, mm-hmm. but punishment cycles in general if you feel really stuck like you keep punishing and then they keep getting kind of quote-unquote worse it's just more hitting and more biting that's that's exactly kind of what the research shows and that when you're when you're doing things that are in a punishment based um fear kind of mentality it's really we're not going to make any progress and that's what our page is all here for
2: exactly well i mean we're talking about discipline now and what's the real meaning of discipline It's to teach, you know, your kids, especially in this toddler stage, they don't have life experience. They don't know what they're feeling or how to really connect their behaviors to outcomes. I mean, that's our job is to discipline them by teaching them what they're feeling and how they can handle these feelings. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind. And like Kristen was saying, when kids feel scared, what the science shows is that they're not learning. They go into a survival mode where they're either fighting back or they're trying to run away, and that just blocks learning. So if we want our kids to really learn coping skills, communication skills, ways of handling their feelings, their needs constructively, we need to help them feel safe at the same time.
0: Agreed. And so what I want to do now, because this, again, is such a great conversation about toddlers and behavior and empowering parents to be the best versions of themselves and get through these years, I want to go through the, instead of this, try this, um, we're going to do a few examples. Um, and again, for anyone who does not follow Big Little Feelings, when you go to their page on Instagram, um, a lot of their posts do go through this. Um, they you know, have a lot of other information, but these are just almost like Kristen said earlier, just like little scripts, you might have to, you know, adjust it for what your needs are and what's going on, but just kind of general examples. And I think through these, um, all of you listening, will get an idea of how to approach these situations. So maybe we'll do a few, five or something. So if you want to start doing an example,
1: yeah, let's let's do it. Um, okay, so, so perhaps a very common one is food throwing. <laughs> so whether your child is 12 months or five years, that's for all of these scripts, by the way. It's all the same, and it's all those same three steps. So with food throwing, um, instead of having a really big reaction and going, I told you a million times, don't throw food. No, 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 no. Dean is going to tell you what to do.
2: Okay, here's what you can try. So you can let them know when you throw food, it tells me you're all done. Are you all done? Right? We're giving them this warning. We're helping bring awareness to the food throwing. And then after that warning, the moment you see them throw food, you're going to swoop in with that boundary and say, I see throwing. Okay, all done now. Next time we eat will be snack time after we play outside and remove the food no drama. We're calm. We're confident. But what that teaches them is that food throwing means all done, right? And that we're not gonna, it's not a game. Like Kristen was saying, when we have a really big explosion, especially our pre-verbal ones, (laughs) what they end up seeing is like, oh, this is so fun when mom gets really excited and things get really big. And so it can actually reinforce something like food throwing or any unwanted behavior, really. So holding that boundary with a calm, confident energy and just ending the game, so to speak, no more food throwing, can really resolve that issue.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah. So another one is um, kicking, biting, hitting. You know, we think that that's, I think when you're in it, you just think, oh my God, I can't believe my kid is doing this. Like, is there something wrong? All toddlers, they, they hit, they kick, and, and some of them bite, not all of them bite. Um, If you're ever concerned that this is going too far or it's too much, you should always consult with your pediatrician, of course. But generally speaking, some exploration with hitting and kicking is normal. Um, But the way that we react as a parent is going to really, really dictate if this is going to be a long lasting thing or if this is going to be a couple times and then it kind of dies down. So when your child hits or kicks or bites anything physical or react, we, What we want to avoid is a real, again, a really big reaction. So we really don't, they, let's say they hit you or they hit their brother, you know, go no, 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 no. Right. So like if you're doing the dishes and your kids are in the other room and one hits the other one, we're not going to turn off the water, walk over to them, like grab, you know, look them right in the eyes and give a really loud, Uh no, we want to avoid that.
2: Mm-hmm. And instead, we're going to okay the feeling, which would in this case sound like I see you angry. It's okay to feel angry. Bring in that boundary. It's not okay to hit. I'm going to move my body to stay safe. Or if it's a sibling, I'm going to move the baby to keep him safe right? That's how we teach them about hitting is not only saying it's not okay to hit, but with that boundary, we're actually taking action by moving our body or moving the baby.
0: And if they continue to hit, like if that in that moment, if they do continue to hit or do the action, once you have okayed the boundary, um, obviously you gave the example for food, but how would you go about that in terms of a hitting physical behavior?
2: you're going to actually help them stop. You're going to calmly, gently say, okay, I'm going to hold your arms now to keep everyone safe. And you can give them kind of a bear hug or gently bring their arms to their side. And another key point is we want to teach them coping skills. That shift to the yes in a hitting case is going to happen later. Once they're calmer, because what happens in a really, I was going to say a toddler brain, it's a human brain, is when you are so emotionally activated, you really can't take new information in. So mid tantrum, mid meltdown is not the time to teach. But when they've calmed down, you can go back, name the feelings with them, explain the situation and find better ways to express that feeling. So it could sound like, you know, earlier, when your brother took your toy, I could see you were feeling so mad. Instead of hitting next time, what can we do? And you think together, oh yeah, you could say, you know, I'm not done with that. Or you could, you know, if you feel like hitting, you can hit a pillow where it's safe. So we can teach them at a calmer moment.
1: Yeah, in the moment it's really what we call is just containing and connecting. So we're really when you're saying they they they're not going to stop hitting, they keep going, our only goal even if you want to throw the script out the window is to stay incredibly calm and just contain contain that aggression. Just kind of stop it however you can to keep everyone safe. That's all we're trying to do in the moment because like Dina said, we're not learning anything in the moment. So if we're if we have a really big loud reaction, first of all, they're learning that oh, this got mommy's attention. I'm going to, next time I want attention, I'm going to hit my brother. And if we do something like a timeout, so they're screaming and wailing and, and we're putting them in a corner and they sit there for two minutes, their brain is still in fight or fight mode. They're not, they didn't learn anything in those two minutes by sitting in a chair. So really calmly keeping everyone safe. That's really the only goal in that moment. And then later, like Dina said, the real key is to teach those coping skills. So next time They know something else to do.
0: And thank you for um, clarifying the not trying to teach them in the moment, because I think parents sometimes try to do that where it's like even just imagine you talking to another adult who is yelling in your face. You're not going to get anywhere. If you're yelling back, you're not going to get anywhere. Someone needs to de-escalate the situation. And unfortunately it always has to be the parent, Um, but that's our job. Um, So we have to understand that you think about it. If you, if someone's yelling at you, you're not going to be like, okay, well, this is great. You have to be the calm one, like you said, and wait for that moment. And then when emotions are low and, contain, say, okay, now let's talk about it. And I, I give that example because there was a mom in my office once who was, was the sort of cycle of yelling at her kids. And she's like, they don't listen to me. I keep yelling at them, but they just don't listen. And I said, I'm like, mom, I want you to understand why do we think that yelling is going to be helpful? And I'm like, I want you to, for two weeks, not to yell, control your tone and control the volume of your voice and see what happens. And it takes about a couple, it took, A couple weeks and she said oh my gosh you're right like I and I think parents forget that so much of this is conflict resolution and de-escalating a situation and I don't know why we forget that they you know we can look at toddlers kind of how we would look at how we would want to be spoken to we don't want to be we don't want someone to yell at us when we're crying we don't want someone to yell at us when we're having heavy emotions so why would a two-year-old or four-year-old want the same thing you know
1: and, you know, even beyond just the yelling, which is so true, by the way, it yeah. does take just a couple weeks consistency, but even beyond yelling, think about as an adult, if you're screaming and upset, and you're just, gosh, you're just next level mad, you don't want to be reasoned with either, yeah. by the way. So you just got a parking ticket, you're through the roof angry, you're this, and your partner turns to you and is like, dude, it's not a big deal. Like, calm down, we can pay it. It's not a big deal you don't want to hear the reason yes. or the negotiating or anything like that. And so th- it's yelling, but also even when your child's having a tantrum and you're just stuck, that's why you get angry. Cause you're like, why are you screaming? This is a purple crayon. You asked for a purple crayon and it just escalates, escalates, escalates. <laughs> that's exactly what this script is for where it's like, all we're really trying to do is just say, it's okay to feel how you're feeling. So you're connecting those things and containing, you're just kind of containing that moment.
0: I love it. And the next one, I think, is one that we commonly talk about, which is about crying, right?
1: Yes. So this is kind of the biggest one, right?
0: Yeah. Kristen, you want me to give you the avoid?
1: Do it. Yes.
2: (laughs) Okay. Okay. So when your kids are crying, one thing that we are going to try to avoid is saying something like, you know, by the time I count to three, you need to stop crying Or even just telling them, you're fine. Stop crying. It's okay. Which is a common response.
1: Yeah. So instead, when you're when your kid is crying, or they're angry, or they are frustrated, or they're doing any of those things. It's that same, okay, the feeling script of I see that you're upset. It's okay to feel upset. I'm here for you. Or you're feeling mad. It's okay to feel mad. If a boundary happens to need to be in there, like, um, but iPad is all done, or I won't let you hit, you throw that in there. But even just when there's no boundaries, we often just, they're just upset. And you're just, it's so tempting to say something like, you're fine. You're fine. Nothing's wrong. It's okay. It's okay. It's kind of that idea that we just talked about of that sort of toxic positivity, or it's a little bit dismissing. Again, as an adult, if you have a really tough day, a horrible day, you come home, and like we just talked about, your partner is like, I don't see what the big deal is. I really don't. You're just going to explode. You're going to feel horrible. And it's the same thing for our kids. It doesn't matter if it makes sense or if it doesn't make sense. It's okay to feel sad. I hear you. I'm on your side.
2: No, just one that comes to mind, too, that like never helps me when I'm upset is you need to calm down. (laughs) It's like has never helped anybody, but yet it's so common. (laughs) I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy.
1: And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood.
2: Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct.
1: Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a, we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I think pretty much all toddlerhood is, like, if you picture your husband or your wife or your partner saying that to you, are you going to explode or is it going to make you feel better? And that's how I kind of parent Mike, where I'm like, if my husband turned to me right now and said, calm down, that would probably make me feel worse. So...
0: A great example because that's what it is. And it's like, and you're right, calm down, it makes everyone. I don't think anyone hears calm down because what calm down basically says is that that person saying calm down is uncomfortable with the feeling, obviously. It's not necessarily like they're just, they need you to calm down because they're feeling uncomfortable. Um, and I like what I was about to say was, um, I just wish my parents, like, I wish so many grandparents can listen to this because the generations above us who, I think not just again culturally for Indian Indian families but like in general like this sort of stifling emotions and even for me like when I went through like birth trauma I got so much like okay just don't talk about it it's okay everything's okay and I'm like no 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 like I'm going to express how awful it was and I want that's how I'm going to heal from it um, but it's just so fascinating to me that even you know even now people are still trying to stifle stifle these emotions of adults also. So, um, and you know, definitely for children, I think that's why. Again, like I love your account because it's really important people realize that this is this is lifelong emotional healing, and so it's really needed.
2: Completely, and I'm going to swoop in as just a child therapist and a therapist in general to remind us that releasing and being authentic about what we feel is so healthy. Being able to sit with the whole range of human emotions that we experience is really healthy. And when we don't do that, later in life, what does it end up looking like? Anxiety, depression. I mean, depression, if you look at the word, it's literally broken down into push down in Latin. We push our emotions down and become depressed. So again, yes, okaying the feeling is so healthy, so important for all of us.
1: And by the way Dina and I just like you're saying in your your you know culturally that's how but I think it's also for a lot of us, just that's just our parents' generation. Dina and I, we did not grow up in a house. That was okaying the feeling. <laughs> not at all. It was yeah. pretty much the the very much so the opposite. And it still is, you know, every time, just like you were saying, birth trauma with mine, I, with Junie, she has medical issues. And it's the same thing where it's like, but she's going to be fine. But she's so cute. But she's so this, but look at her. And it's like, I, it's okay for me to say that I am upset That we go to neurologists, and I'm being told this information. It's okay for us to have a hard time right now. It's okay, you know. That just wasn't really instilled in us, and and I didn't get here until you know I started reading about all of this stuff in order to parent my kids this way. Up until four years ago, I was still pushing down my feelings and and just doing the same the same sort of thing. So. If you were raised in a different way, um, it's hard. and Dina and I both were raised that way too. this didn't this doesn't just come naturally to us is what I'm trying to say. This takes a lot of work yeah. and research and it, it's hard, but it's it's so super super worth it knowing that we're gonna change kind of that generational cycle for, for our kids.
0: Oh, I agree. It's, it's so worth it. This is like an investment in our children, investment in ourselves. And so I agree with it. Uh, that was a great example. I love I love, um, you know, not saying stop, you know, stop crying. OK, it goes just it's a small thing that we can do that just really helps them feel safe in that emotional moment of, hey, I'm sad. And like you said, it's OK to be sad. It's OK to be happy. It's OK to dance around like, you know, it's all these emotions are so equally important. Happiness is not superior to sadness in many ways. It's all emotions and it's all part of us. And I I love it. As you can see, I could talk with you all forever because <laughs> it's, so, it's like filling my heart with so much joy because I'm so glad that people all over will be able to hear this. You know, it's just a nice conversation to be having. So I, I think we have a couple more examples.
2: Yeah. Okay, let's do one that has both an okay the feeling and a boundary. So a common situation with toddlers, they're touching unsafe things, right? They get into a lot of things. So in these moments, what we're gonna try to avoid is again, a big loud reaction, which makes it a fun game to go over and touch the the outlet, the cord. And we're gonna avoid 1 million warnings. So usually it's the, okay, don't touch that, I said, don't touch that. You're not listening. Please don't touch that. And Kristen, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So instead, what we want to do is we want to try that one reminder, if we can, this is not safe. I won't let you. And then if they go and we're going to physically remove them. So this is usually probably what we call a tabby, by the way, they're maybe like pre-verbal, I would even say nine months up, right? They're starting to explore Mm -hmm. even at nine months. So we want to kind of physically remove them and to let them know, I'm going to move you over here now. I see you want to touch that cord. That's not safe. I won't let you, right? And you stay incredibly calm. I mean, that has to be the most important thing is staying incredibly calm. Then you want to tell them what they can do. So here's some blocks that you can play and you put those in front of them. And this is going to take incredible consistency, first of all, when they're pre-verbal. So it's over and over and over. I see that you want to touch that. That's not safe. I won't let you. I'm going to help you move. Here's what you can do. And ideally for those little ones, for the pre-verbal ones, we really want to create a yes space. We we want to create a space where we're not following them around all day and having to move them and having to go somewhere. I mean... it's hard. We get so many messages saying, how do I discipline my, my nine month old? How do I discipline my, you know, 14 month old? And it's like, they really don't have the understanding at this age to know you're going to burn your hand when you do this. They will, we'll get there when they're two, when they're two and a half and you still need to stay right next to them, by the way. But at that younger tabby age, they just do not have that understanding. So really baby proofing, Creating a yes space, whatever it means for you is going to be the best way to go. And then if and when you're in the real world and these things happen and they're around cords, you want to stick with this script over and over and over and over. Holding that boundary is so key.
0: You said it perfectly. I think the when they start to pull to stand, crawling, when they start doing that, it definitely removing them from the space can actually, I think, help in the future. Obviously, when they're toddlers, they're still going to get to that same cord that they wanted to get to but that consistency early can actually help them understand okay well why are we why are we having these some parts of the house that are not allowed and other parts are okay and um yeah i we have a playpen for ryan and i think it's one of it's a huge playpen like we made it a huge area and it's Exactly. Everything in there is safe, meaning nothing he can topple over nothing. So if we leave him there, he can do whatever he wants in that space. Um, But anywhere else, if we say no, we, and that's the space we take him to now, because if he starts and he loves the unsafe things, he loves the cords, he loves the the decorative pieces we have on our coffee table. He loves the metal height, the metal stool bar stool. It's always the unsafe things that they go towards. Um, And it's also, you know, I have to teach my nanny about the big reactions because she's a little older. And so she does like the, no, no, no. And I say, just don't be dramatic about it. We're just going to take him away and say, you're not allowed to touch this. And we move him. Um, But it's training every caretaker involved.
1: (laughs) Yes. And that consistency, that is communication, by the way. So when you think, okay, we can't communicate. He doesn't talk. She doesn't talk. The best way to communicate with those little ones, let's say unsafe things is putting stuff in their mouth, putting sand in their mouth or paint or things like that. That consistency of those actions, every time that they put sand into their mouth, we say, I won't let you, that's not safe, all done sand today, and we pick them up and we move them, like you're saying, right away, quickly, calmly, and with those actions every single time, they will learn, okay, I put sand in mouth, all done sand. I want to keep playing, I won't put sand in my mouth. You'll get there with consistency, but you, we won't get there if A they think it's a game because you're going, no, 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 no. And they're like, Ooh, funny. Or B, we're just saying the same boundary over and over and over and over and over and over. But they're still in the sandbox, right? So how many times do you hear that where you're like, don't put it in your mouth, 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 but there's no action happening. We're never going to get anywhere. So it's just quickly, swiftly, calmly, but every single time right off the bat. Okay, I'm going to move you over here.
0: And I love, again, when we talk about it going a little bit earlier, same thing goes for like nine-month-olds. Again, we, I understand, I agree with you completely that they're not going to understand not to touch the hot stove. It takes a little bit longer for them, um, 18 months, two years. But the little nine-month-old that you know, slaps your face and you start laughing um, and then you start obviously or saying, ow, I actually tell my families, I'm like, don't have a reaction to those things too so early because they do look at it as a game. Like, Ryan will start slapping our face. And, I, you know, initially my husband would start to, you know, say, ow, you know, ooh. And now we just actually started to, like, not show any emotion when he does it. And we just redirect him. And he actually stopped doing that behavior. Of course that behaviors can come back. I'm not saying that you do this now and the toddler's is going to be amazing. Um, but it's nice, like, because when they're babies, it does seem cute. When they throw food, when they, you know, when they do little, you know, before they get into these toddler years, it can seem really adorable. So you laugh. And you're like, oh, they're slapping me in the face or pulling my hair. Um, but if you can just not have a reaction to it and obviously redirect them, I think it can really help. And then one more example, which I also really good one.
2: Yeah, let's do another one. So, you know, getting out the door can be really hard with toddlers. And when we're trying to get out the door, we're often asking them to get their shoes on, for example. So something we're going to try to avoid is reaction like, Okay, put your shoes on. Can you please put your shoes on now? Okay, I need you to put your shoes on now, right? And Kristen's going to give us a try.
1: So instead of doing... Yeah, so what we want to try to do instead is we want to really calmly, again, be that calm, confident leader. It's time to leave now. Do you want to wear your purple shoes or your cowboy boots today? You pick. So it's that going back to that idea of... Um, giving them a choice, making them feel powerful. We're choosing that it's time to leave right now, where we're going, what we're doing. They get to choose which pair of shoes they want to wear. You're giving them two choices, by the way, that are both pre-approved. You know, if it's 220 degrees outside, we're not offering sandals out there. Um, And then this is where I think we get a lot of questions is, okay, what if they say, no, no shoes, right? So, A lot of times giving them that choice really shifts them into being like, yeah, this is me. I got this. I want the red shoes. But sometimes they're still going to be like, no, no shoes and melt down. You want to quickly, calmly and firmly stick to that boundary right away. We're not even asking, you know, if you want to ask a second time because you think maybe they didn't hear you. Sure. But we're not repeating, okay, you want the purple shoes or the red shoes? Purple shoes or red shoes? Purple? No. If if we're saying no the first time, we're going to step in really calmly and confidently. Okay, you're having a hard time picking your shoes. I'm going to pick the red ones today. You'll pick the red ones tomorrow. It's time to leave. And if we have to pick them up and they're upset about it and it's time to leave, then that's what happens. It's okay for them to be upset, but it's time to leave.
2: Oh, to highlight one other thing that Kristen actually did so beautifully. She didn't ask an open-ended question like, are you ready to put your shoes on? She said, it's time to put your shoes on, which is so key.
0: And that's about that boundary. And again, the the choice or autonomy combination that you were mentioning. And I appreciate you also giving this example because you talked about how you may have to leave the door with a crying child. And I think parents often think that the end result of a tantrum will be that everyone does what you need to do, but sometimes you're going to have to go on with your activity and You know, everyone has to stay calm, especially the adult um, and move on. And you and that is the consistency, because what I find happens is that when a parent, the child continues crying, they retreat from that boundary and they say, "Okay, well, let's just stay home or let's just not. You don't have to do shoes. You don't have to do anything because then that gives them the power of the of the whining and the tantrum. So I, I love that example a lot.
1: Yeah, and even the negotiating too, where it's just like a time to go or the blue shoes or that shoes or that shoes or or that shoes. What they're learning, like Dina said earlier, they just learned that they got like 15 more minutes of exactly what they wanted, right? A really good example of this exact scenario too is leaving the park. So so that same thing where it's, that's where I see it a lot with parents. You never want to be picking up a screaming child leaving the park or the playground. And so I see so many parents, myself included in the past, where you're just going back and forth. Okay, fine. Two more minutes. Okay, fine. We just learned that we got 15 more minutes of exactly what they wanted, right? Of staying at the park or staying, not putting their shoes on. They learned that that's what they got. But when you can just pick up that, that crying kid, really empathize. It's hard to leave the park. It's time to leave now. And you do it right away. I promise you with that consistency it it goes away because they're, they're learning when mom says it's time to leave the park. It's time to leave the park. There's no question about it. You know, there's no, it's happening.
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you clarified that too, because we've gotten the question. Well, I don't have 45 minutes to just sit with them yes. and okay the feelings until they're done. Well, no, you can hold the boundary, carry them and still okay the feelings on the way to the car. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yes. Oh, so important. And I, I love that that was the final example. Because like I said, it's you, you, you don't have that time. And you are, like you said, the calm, cool, collected leader of your home that you're going to be making those boundaries. and And you also mentioned a really good example that we create the major boundaries. We create what shoes options they have, and you can't allow them to wear sandals in 20-degree weather, and ex- especially with a coat. Some kids don't want to wear the coat. Do you want you wear your blue coat or your red coat? If they don't want to wear the coat, the coat goes on, and we move on. But it's so – oh, I love it. I Dina and Kristen, I'm just – I'm loving all this behavior talk I (laughs) I really appreciate you both of you being on this episode today because it's so important and like I said I love your account tell me more about your course like what a family can get out of that if they end up buying your course
1: yeah so we made our course um, specifically with with busy parents in mind and also grandparents by the way caregivers nannies Um, Everybody on your caregiving team gets access and that was incredibly important to us that that mom, dad, caregiver, nanny, grandma, you could all watch it. And we kept everyone in mind with busy. So it's two to 10 minute long videos each and you have access forever so that you can go at your own pace. I think that always holds me back personally because I'm like, when am I ever going to do this, right? (laughs) So you can sneak in a video during nap time. And um, it really is a combination of Dina using everything that she has used in her child therapy practice for years for all different kinds of kids, Uh, high energy kids, strong willed kids, nervous kids, shy kids, all different kids and also all different parents. So working parents, stay at home parents, we really try to make it as inclusive for all different kinds of kids, all different parents, all different lifestyles. And um, we walk you through what to do in the middle of a tantrum. We have a seven-step plan of of what to do in the moment of the tantrum. We teach you how to be the calm, confident leader in your home. We have a whole section on discipline because that can be incredibly confusing when you want to be, quote-unquote, gentle parenting but still discipline. Um, And then we have a section that is called that – breaks down, honestly, every single toddler problem under the sun, which was kind of my addition as a real mom being like, okay, everything that Dina has in her child therapy and her her research with neurobiology, but what do you do when they have an accident and they pee their pants, right? How, How do we take away a pacifier? So we have a section that is literally just every, it's bath time, bedtime, brushing teeth, you know, any kind of pushback that you can have, we broke it down there.
2: Yeah. And something I love about our course too, is that it teaches you how to make a script for any situation so that you feel super confident.
0: And it's awesome because we, I mean, we just gave five examples, but I know obviously from following your account, um, how many more, like you said, like the bath time, bedtime, whatever it is, there's so many situations that come through that you can use the similar scripting, but it's nice to hear the examples. The re- and obviously I know Kristen, you have two children, Dina, you're pregnant expecting any day now. Um, but hearing the real life examples also, I know is very helpful to other parents too. For Kristen you know like hey it may have been like this and this is what we changed and I know you talk about that Kristen a lot on the on your Instagram you'll talk about you know leaving the park with your your girls and then you know what you guys did to change things and how it helped them so that's a lot of the reason why I love your account too it's the it's the mix and I'm so excited Dina to you know obviously welcome your new baby any day now um I know you know it's even you're in this field as a person who's also in the med- you know obviously a professional in the medical field it's like you know all this stuff but now you get to actually apply it and it's going to be so awesome so i'm so excited for you
2: oh thank you me too i can't wait <laughs>
0: For everyone, I'm going to be attaching their Instagram handle and also um, their website so that if you want to check out their course, um, but you definitely need to give them a follow because you will learn so much just from obviously their stories and their posts. And again, thank you both for being here today. No, thank you. I know. I want to hang out more. Oh, I loved it too. Have a great day. Thank you for tuning in for this week's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. As always, please leave a review, share it with a friend, comment on my social media. And if you're not already, follow me at Pete's Doc Talk on Instagram. Love doing this for all of you. Have a great rest of your week. Take care. Talk to you soon.